You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We all learn that graft-versus-host disease is a common complication in transplant patients. How can this also be happening on an institutional level? Welcome to our special segment on public health policy. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is author Julie Solomon. Julie has written best-selling books on the film industry and ancient scholars, but her most recent book, Hospital, Man, Woman, Birth, Death, Infinity, plus Red Tape, Bad Behavior, Money, God, and Diversity on Steroids, gives us a glimpse into her year-long journey through Maimonides Hospital in Brooklyn. Welcome to ReachMD, Julie. Hi, thank you for having me. Julie, you've written about so many things in your wonderful book, Hospital, but one of the most intriguing things to me was this concept of graft versus host disease in the institution. Um, Tell us about that. Well, what it was talking about really was the hospital I wrote about, Maimonides Medical Center in Brooklyn, is a hospital that has, they like to say they have 67 languages spoken here. And that applies to the patients as well as the people who work there. And I think in hospitals around the country, we have an increasingly multicultural patient body and medical staff. People come here from all over the country to train, from all over the world to train and to then stay and practice medicine. And at this hospital, needless to say, there are all kinds of programs in place to try and integrate the international doctors with the homegrown And sometimes it's hard. And that's where the graft-host analogy kind of came into being was, you know, how do you deal in the middle of all the other complexities of modern medicine, people with completely different cultural attitudes and beliefs? And how do you run a business with 67 different languages? (laughs) It's hard, although I have to say what was interesting to me was I thought, well, maybe this is Brooklyn, it's New York. But one of the young doctors I followed around who was actually from Nebraska, his parents came to visit one day and I interviewed them. And his dad was an anesthesiologist in Lincoln, Nebraska at a big hospital there. And he was saying that even in Lincoln, they don't have 67 languages, but they have on a regular basis probably eight or nine. And so I think in major cities around the country, you're seeing people come to live who come from all different backgrounds. And they have different attitudes towards being patients and different attitudes towards being doctors and nurses. So these problems aren't unique to Maimonides, but maybe they're amplified there? I'd say amplified is a good way of putting it. I mean, one of the reasons I found this hospital such an interesting case study is that I think almost every single issue that comes up in modern medical practice, from regulation to malpractice to our pretty insane reimbursement system, it's all there, but it's there in a very intense environment. And so it was a good place to kind of look at all the issues of modern medicine sort of in a hot house and sometimes a hot-tempered house. So one of the titles of your book is Diversity on Steroids. Where does that come from? 67 languages. You know, this is a hospital founded 100 years ago to take care of the immigrant community of Borough Park in Brooklyn, which at that time was almost 100% Jewish. And there's still a very significant Orthodox Jewish population. So the hospital's kosher, but there's also a significant Chinese, Pakistani, Italian, Irish, Nigerian, you name it, 
all kinds of different people. So now they have a kosher kitchen that's run by a guy who was born in Jamaica, and they also have kosher Chinese food on the menu because they have so many Chinese patients. Now, after spending a year immersed in this culture, and you you were given unlimited access, right? I was. Do you see any hope for fixing the problems, the many problems that you outlined in your book that we're all painfully aware of with healthcare in this country? You know what I saw as hopeful is that, you know, with all the problems and all the insanity and all the money pressures, every single day I saw some incredible piece of medicine being practiced, that people even under very difficult situations rise to the occasion. And when they're pushed up against the wall, and I think we are at that point now where we are pushed up against the wall, people start to think about change. The truth is, I do think that people recognize at every level, whether it's patients, doctors, even politicians, that we have to bring some kind of rational thinking to the healthcare system. And I think what it's going to mean is that everybody's not going to be able to have everything as some people have now, and yet, but more people will get something. And I think people are going to have to take more responsibility for their health. I think we're going to start believing more in preventive medicine, and I don't think any of it's going to happen in the next five minutes. But I do feel hopeful. I mean, I didn't see a bunch of cynical, burnt-out people. I saw people who were frustrated and angry sometimes, but I saw them caring a lot, and that certainly is always a hopeful proposition. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is author Julie Solomon. We are discussing some of the many problems and possible solutions that she witnessed during her year-long journey through Maimonides Hospital in Brooklyn. After looking back on this experience, Julie, what do you think is the biggest challenge that we face in in trying to deal with these problems? I think it's a twofold challenge. I mean, on the one hand, everybody thinks um, they're either for the single-payer system and universal health coverage or against it. I think whether you're for or against it, I do think we have to have cost controls. And that means there's just so much irrationality built into the system now that I had a young friend who a couple weeks ago, a student, from another country. She got a fever in the middle of the night, and her resident advisor in the dorm took her to the emergency room. The girl didn't want to go, but she had a really, really high fever, and, and that was the rule that they ha- if they have a student. So she ended up getting two Tylenols and a bill of $1,089 that was mailed to her home by a collection agency. Now, in the scheme of things, not the worst horror story in the world, but I think symptomatic of a system that is in need of reform. I think if you look at the profits of the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical companies, they're out of whack, which doesn't mean that people shouldn't make money. We shouldn't encourage research. But Maimonides, who was the philosopher who the the hospital is named after, always encouraged moderation in all things. And I think we're way, way out of whack with moderation. I tell you, one of the the gasps that I had in reading your book was how much the hospital administrators made at Maimonides. Oh, and they're not really the most highly paid at all. But I was surprised as well that the CEO, when I was writing the book, so this was when I was doing the research, which was a couple of years ago, was making eight hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. 
And that put her nowhere near the top-paying hospital executive in New York. I mean, there were hospital administrators making a million and a half, two million, three million dollars a year. And you know, on the on the one hand, well, for somebody running a company of that size, that wouldn't be such a huge salary. But these are not-for-profit institutions. And I and I think you're raising a really good point that I think. There's been a kind of inflation built into the system that certain parts of medicine, surgeons make a lot of money, the top hospital administrators make a lot of money, but people doing sort of internal medicine, pediatricians don't struggle to make a living, really. And I think it's not a very rational long-term view, because if you're not paying people to teach us to take care of ourselves, then we end up with these high-cost, high-procedure services that cost a fortune. And you make another excellent point in your book about putting in these very expensive computer kind of tracking systems for the hospital and and trying to follow the patients. And, And really the pivotal point in these systems is the lowest paid person in the whole link that's the data entry person. And if they don't do it right, this fancy system is completely worthless. I think you're making a very good point. And yet on the other hand, I do believe that putting in not just computer systems, but just better systems of thinking and planning can be very useful for these big institutions. Because I think in order to make the more rational the system, then the more rational the delivery of care. And yet again, one of the things I tried to do in the book was to, you know, this isn't a book that's out to bash the medical profession. I think on the contrary, what I saw over and over again were doctors, nurses, social workers, all trying really hard to do the job they were trained to do and feeling frustrated by a system that seemed bent on stopping them from doing it. After spending this much time in the hospital, are there people that you continue to stay in touch with? Everybody. It's been kind of overwhelming. I mean, I think for a lot of the people in the hospital, because a lot of the book is personal, I go into the personal stories of many people in the book, partly to show people what happens if you're an oncologist and all of a sudden your wife has cancer. How does that affect your thinking as a physician and your sense of failure that you you weren't able to catch it, catch something in your own family? I follow doctors who have been promoted to management positions but are still practicing medicine, and they may be great doctors but are having a hard time to adjust to their new role. I want to give the lay public a full cross-section of section of the kinds of issues that medical professionals working in these big institutions face that people on the outside are not aware of. And those pressures, the personal pressures, the financial pressures, and the institutional pressures, these are big, big, they're like big companies, except they're not for profit, and some of them in some states are for profit institutions. So all those things that come into play in other professions, ego, ambition, feuds, money, expenditures, money, lust, those come into play in hospitals as well. So I'm dying to find out what happened to Davey, the ER (laughs) resident. (laughs) Well, Davey, the ER guy, this was my guy from Nebraska who actually ended up at Maimonides by accident because he thought his girlfriend might go to graduate school in New York. She ended up staying in California where they were both in school, and he came to New York. Well, he ended up transferring to another hospital 
to be close to his girlfriend in California, and I am happy to report they're still together, but they're actually moving again to Oregon. He's following her again because she got a, a either a postgraduate or a teaching position up in Oregon, so he's going to do another medical not a residency, but maybe a post-residency position up in Oregon. So he's very faithful. I hope they get married. I hope so, too. My goodness. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I want to thank our guest today, Julie Solomon. We've been discussing the complex cross-cultural implications of 21st century American medicine, as illustrated in her book, Hospital. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. If you register with the promo code RADIO, you'll receive six months of free streaming for your home or office. If you have comments or questions, please give us a ring at 888-MD-XM157. Thank you for listening.